Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Tech Connect Podcast. I'm John Martin. And I'm Dean Riverman. Dean, have you ever had food poisoning? Ooh. Yeah, uh, yes, I'm sure I have sometime in my life. Yeah, Unfortunate had, when that happens, right? I had salmonella. But I'm still here. I haven't died. Oh, you had salmonella. Uh, that was, this has been like 20 years or so ago. Dude, that's serious. It was, I spent about three days in the hospital. Ooh. It was not fun. No. Uh, and I, even though I don't know for sure where I got it, the last place I ate was a, I'm not going to mention the name of it, a popular national chain <laughs> sit-down restaurant. Let's put it that way. <laughs> And I was a little turned off from eating there right? for quite well, some time Statistics afterwards. would say that you probably never went back, maybe. I, I actually did, I think, at you, some point eventually. Cause it was were like you the, a glutton for punishment? Well, it was like the hangout place for me and my friends oh, for a while there. We yeah. were kind of boring and just hang out on yeah, Friday I nights gotcha. there. I gotcha. But yeah. I was turned off for a little while, yeah. I, I, yeah, I admit. Yeah. And it may not have even been the actual place I got it, but it was the last place I ate before that. Right. Yeah, it was just embedded in my mind. Well, yeah. anyway, I bring that up because today's topic of conversation is about food safety. Yep. Uh, and, you know, and the technology that can go behind it, which, mm-hmm. you know, we talk a lot about, you know, our customers working with, you know, restaurants and mm-hmm. hospitality mm-hmm. and retail grocers. And I think we focus on a lot of other technologies around, you know, inventory management, mm-hmm. POS, mm-hmm. Uh, maybe back of the house kitchen type stuff. Yep. Yep. But there's another opportunity that's out there, which is the food safety world. And helping customers make sure that the food they're serving is safe, that mm-hmm. it's fresh, that they're not wasting food. Mm-hmm. So we have a great guest with us today. We have Ashley Berry from Zebra. She's going to come in with us and ch- talk us a little bit about, you know, innovations around food safety, mm-hmm. um, it, the, you know, the, the great scope of food safety, what it means, what the FDA is recommending mm-hmm. and what their plans are for the future to kind of Got to pay attention safety. to that. Oh, yes. Exactly. Yep. Uh, where technology fits into this. What changed over the last year? Mm-hmm. COVID changed a lot of things about how food practices mm-hmm. are done in general and mm-hmm. probably disrupted a lot of food safety practices uh, along the way. No doubt. Uh, we'll get into some of those key technologies that are going to help us meet those compliances that uh, that the FDA is putting out there, talk about you know how we might reduce waste. Uh, she'll talk a little bit about what Zebra is doing in this market already. Yep. We've got some cool Lots of tools stuff. and technologies oh, yeah. available, yep. uh, as well as our usual value of the VAR and what's tech connecting with us. So it is time. Thank to plug in and get connected. Welcome to the Tech Connect Podcast. It's time to get connected. All right. As I mentioned, our guest today, Ashley Barry. Barry, I hope I'm pronouncing Barry correctly. I forgot to ask you at the beginning of the show like I normally do. <laughs> no, you are. All right, yeah, good. That's perfect. Uh, Just she, the way it's spelled. Good. She <laughs> is the, I'm usually right about these things, but I always like to make sure. Uh, she is the Director of Strategic Development uh, and works for at, or works on the Temp Time Project at Zebra. Uh, so, Ashley, tell us a little bit more about yourself, how you ended up at Zebra, and maybe what your day-to-day role does look like. Absolutely. Um, so my name is Ashley Berry, uh, as I've been mentioned. Um, my background is in actually in supply chain. Um, I came from Blue Yonder, or JDA, as some of you may have known, uh, for five or six years in the software world. I worked a lot on data and um, bringing transportation, warehouse systems um, all together. It's the first time that I also worked on the IBM Food Trust and, and lots of different information and traceability of food uh, throughout many large retailers, um, all the way back to the, the suppliers. Um, and now I work for Zebra, and I've worked in um, our data solutions area, so Zebra Savannah, and now TempTime, which is we specialize um, in improving global health, but we look at temperature indication throughout food, um, pharma, chemicals, anything that uh, you need to make sure 
is staying at the right temperature uh, throughout the supply chain. Awesome. And as we've talked about, that is an area of growth for these for resellers that are listening to us today. I'm telling you, whatever you want to call it, IoT or whatever, the, right. just the expansion of sensors and stuff like that. I don't know if we'll get into the temp time stuff, but the, man, that stuff's cool too. Yeah. The, ze- the zebras yeah. doing, but yeah. Yep. Definitely. Well, we thank you very much for being here with us today and, and diving into this topic. Uh, this is one that's that's kind of interesting to me because I, I feel like it's one of those topics that, again, as I mentioned, we don't we may not think about it as mm-hmm. often as we should when we are dealing with customers where this is going to be relevant. It, you mm-hmm. know, it, it feels like something we're like, yeah, everybody knows that they need to keep their food fresh and safe and the right temperatures and not spoil or not waste stuff if they can. But you know, there is a technology element that can be embedded there to help them do that. And I think it's important that we again put these opportunities out there for them and help them understand of what's coming down the pike yep. to know where there might be opportunities in the in the near to distant future. Absolutely. Um, so first I want to start off like, you know, let's talk about the importance of food safety. And, you know, as we talked at the top of the show, you know, I've had, you know, food poisoning. I know what that's like. It's awful. It's a huge turnoff. I make sure I studiously sniff everything that I'm preparing or eating. <laughs> as if that's some type I of, know, you know. As if that really makes a big difference. But, you know, obviously <laughs> if it smells bad, you definitely don't eat it. But, right. you know, I'm very cautious and careful about this stuff, you know, in a way that I never used to be before. Yeah. Um, I, I was telling Ashley before we came on that I, I worked for a, uh, a food service, like, um, supplies company yeah. mm-hmm. before I came to Blue Star. And right. we, you know, we, there was a lot of stuff around food safety yep. and, you know, and keeping everything clean involved in that that I... Mm-hmm never even understood or realized before you know mm-hmm. if you've if you've worked i'm sure in, in, in a restaurant or something all, you yeah, know right. this stuff right absolutely but there's definitely a lot there that i didn't realize and as i was researching for this episode i came across some some very terrifying statistics frankly <laughs> uh and, and some amazing ones too so unsafe food leads to 600 million that's one in 10 people falling ill and 420,000 deaths every year that's across the world in general in the U.S., it's about one in six Americans, 48 million that get sick yearly, averaging to about 3,000 deaths. Uh, so those are, you know, kind of alarming statistics. I know it's, you know, well, let's marinate on that for is, just one second. We're worse than the world average, right? So one in ten worldwide, point. but one in six Americans are. Gonna, what is uh, going on here? That's for for a country again that's supposed to be so right. much further above. Right. But you know, yeah. there's there's some there's some shortcuts that are being taken there. So, yeah. you know, and obviously, you know, the the food allergies, the food allergies is a big concern. Has been a concern yeah. for a while too about mm-hmm. making sure that people know what's in the food that they're reading that they know what ingredients are there if someone has an allergy to something mm-hmm. one of those things i feel like we didn't pay as much attention to 20 30 years no, ago not at but all it's become much more relevant and, no. and granted i think over from my understanding over time food sensitivities have become a stronger thing than they mm-hmm. used to be too mm-hmm. so again it all wraps up in this picture of making sure that our food is is safe making sure that people know what's in their food that they that they can feel comfortable with what they're what they're eating or what they're buying. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ashley, you had a great example, I think, to kind of help us explain why we need to be concerned about this and why it's more than just the basics of, you know, well, sure, ice cream needs to stay frozen or chicken shouldn't be left out on the counter for three hours or something before you <laughs> cook it. Like, so help us help us understand you know, why this is relevant and important. Um, absolutely. Um, I use an example around one of my favorite kinds of food, which is Velveeta, because you know, you put that on nachos and you can use it for so many different things, but it really helps to show um, and help people think about the fact that it's not just a strawberry, for example, and, and this could be manufactured food. It could be prepared food. It could be all sorts of different things. And each of them has a different, what we call a stability profile. And that means what is the temperature it has to stay in between, right? And most people think, well, Velveeta, I buy it off the shelf, right? That doesn't, 
you know, that's a really rough temperature. And it is. Room temperature is still a temperature. So Velveeta could be frozen. So it's in its truck and the truck is going down the road in Minnesota and it's really cold and it can be frozen and then you can still sell it on the shelf. But if that truck maybe is going through a really hot day in Texas and hasn't been appropriately um, you know, protected or isn't being measured, you know, what's going on with that truck. And we measure a lot with trucks, what trucks are doing. Um, it could melt. So suddenly we have wasted all that entire pallet of Velveeta. It's melty cheese everywhere and there's no nacho chips to be found and you can't do anything with it, but clean it up. Right. So that's a great example of just something that's room temperature, um, cereal, anything that can be affected by those very low or very high temperatures, you always want to mo monitor those. Um, and the more you get into things like our friend, the strawberry, the more sensitive those, those kind of foods are. So the strawberry is not just sensitive to the temperature, it's also sensitive to humidity. And in fact, humidity will affect it even more than just the temperature, right? If it gets wet and doesn't, isn't able to dry out, or if it dries out too far, then you don't really want to eat like a dried up, you know, um, strawberry. So these are all those environmental sensing is, is affecting all of those different things that we talked about, like foodborne illness and, and anything else, all, all of that is all regulated, but it's not just the temperature and it's not just those things that you think of as being temperature um, oriented. Yeah, true. Yeah. And this, this kind of plays a little bit into the fact that, you know, I was doing a little bit of research coming into this. You have to think about the business side of it, too. I think we've done a good job here of kind of laying the foundation of why food safety is important. But when you think about it, I mean, there, there's a business impact anytime there is an incident. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm still surprised Absolutely. that Chipo Chipotle, I guess, is, mm -hmm. is still in business because I don't want to call them out, but they have had a couple of some issues for a while there. Uh, you know, but, but still, I mean, you know, it, it has a negative impact on the business. So when you think about it from our perspective and the resellers that we deal with, their customers, right, a lot of them are obviously in this business. It's, an, it's important to understand that food safety is critical to, to their customers' ongoing uh, viability, right? The, the stat that I was looking at, 60% of people that have, that visit a restaurant that where there was, you know, came into contact with a food board illness or something like that, will never go back to that place again. So, right. you know, which makes sense, right? Well, I mean, yeah. it's, it's, so there's the, the business. Unless you're me, apparently. It too. So. Well, no, you're in the 40% that, that would go back. So, so I think it was like a year, maybe. So, right, 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 right. But, um, but it is important, right? right so right. It, it's critical. It's in it, that it, that, the importance is, is definitely there. Yeah, I definitely would say so. Well, and I liked also, Ashley, you mentioned the idea of, which again is something I don't think as a consumer we think about, and probably sometimes as the businesses themselves may I think about, is this idea that, hey, just because something is storable at room temperature mm -hmm. doesn't make it just, you know, any old situation. Mm -hmm. You know, it doesn't mean like right. you take it into a room that has no air conditioning, that's no longer sufficient room temperature at that point. You know, or as you mentioned, if you're transporting it, through a place that's hot or excessively cold, you're disrupting that in some way. And, and I, again, that's not something I think that a lot of people ever really think about. You know, just because something is is storable at room temperature doesn't mean that it's just you know for any temperature that it's acceptable. Well, so. and we've had kind of conversations about supply chain and obviously how our resellers are getting more and more ingrained, deeper and deeper into supply right. chain and traceability. I know we're focusing on food safety here today, but you know the traceability need there. There is a need, and there's technology that can help people along yep. that way uh, that we need to all be kind of cognizant of. But if you're a solution seller, you're having those conversations. Yep. You're understanding, you know, what what is the input of the manufacturing process in this in this case food look like? Where what what are the storage temperatures that needs 
things need to stay right. at, uh, or when they're once they're produced, what do they need to stay at? Right, Ashley. I know that you you get into that a lot uh, in what you're doing, right? Helping people navigate absolutely. that and helping resellers understand the importance of that. Is that true? Yes, absolutely. I think one of the the two things that you picked up on, I, I'd, I'd love to talk about in terms of what the resellers um, can be thinking about too, is one is that quality and brand protection, right? So mm -hmm. even beyond just understanding that something is safe, right? And just because something has been kept at the appropriate temperature does not necessarily mean it's safe. There's lots of FDA rules and all sorts of other things that come into play there. So lots of ways you can have that quality conversation with your end customer, right? How do they know that the, the goods that they're getting from their suppliers are coming into those distribution centers and have been kept at the appropriate temperature or have been haven't been shocked or anything like that. Mm -hmm. um, how do we help them to think about the the quality? Because the consumer is usually more suspicious than anything else, right? So even if you say yes, that's safe, they may say no. I'm I'm going to question that, and I want proof of that. I want to understand what it is that the, the brands are doing to protect me, or the, what are the brands doing to provide higher quality and better visibility to their customers about all of those systems. Um, that's, I think, one of the great parts of this conversation today is that we, we, we get to think about that. Um, and again, different ways to have that conversation where it's not just the, the stick of the FDA, it's not just the threat, but it's also that, that thought of quality and the fact that consumers expect more at this point, especially with all the trends that have gone way high since COVID because everybody is now getting delivery food. They're mm -hmm. all getting, you know, all sorts of things through the mail. They're getting all of these different, you know, like HelloFresh. They're getting their groceries put together by other people. They're changing hands a lot. How do I make sure that I'm protected? And how do I make sure that everything is, I have visibility from, you know, farm to fork, essentially. Yeah, that's a really good point. I think we've all mm. become kind of sensitive to mm -hmm. that. I had a delivery just the other night, and I noticed the fact that, the the whatever the restaurant took great care to make sure the bag was sealed and it had the label on it uh, all that right. absolutely buttoned up and 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 you felt comfortable that hey this is as mm -hmm. about as clean of a delivery as it possibly can right. the food that came to you Ashley I want to also throw another thing on the table here and I hope I'm not throwing you a curveball here but I, as I was thinking about this particular episode I was thinking about what's unique about food safety to me at least here in the U S you hear a lot about local growers and high localism mm -hmm. around food, you know, the input side, you know, restaurants going out and working with local farmers mm -hmm. and stuff like that. And, and again, as solutions providers, we need to be cognizant of that and, and have solutions available that maybe your, your end user who's a restaurant needs to have a solution where they can kind of track, you know, where some of the, that information or where some of those goods are coming from. Right? right. I mean, are you starting to see it on the hyper and the local sense too? the, the need for these solutions? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. One of the one of the um, more recent projects that I worked on was actually a local uh, butcher. It was a local mm. meat provider, and um, that's that's obviously very on trend, right? So it's local grass fed beef, and what they're doing is that they were working with their distributor, right? So this, they were considered a supplier. They were working with the distributor. The distributors, in fact, were the ones who were saying we have to make sure that all of these rules and regulations are being applied. We're going to help you, right? So in terms of like value-added resellers, like going to work with those distributors so they can and educate them so they can work with the suppliers to get these tools and to understand what it's like um, 
so that the traceability is, is able to be done. And also, again, all of those different rules and regulations are being expressed appropriately. So supporting them in, in well, you could use a data logger, you could use a, an indication tag with something more chemical, you could use this mitigation plan, you could use an RFID tag so we understand the location of these things. So there's all these different technologies and it's great when the suppliers and the distributors can work together um, more seamlessly um, so that they can provide that. And then it's also uniform so that the distributors are really comfortable with all the different suppliers that are coming in. Um, that way, when I buy something, right, if I'm, if I'm buying something from my local co-op, like mm -hmm. I can even see what they've done with all of these different suppliers to ensure, you know, again, quality and safety for me. Bingo. I think yep. the opportunity is there. It is a trend in our society. It's not going away. Yep. I mean, I love the fact that I could walk into yeah, a co-op or a local whatever, mm -hmm. even Walmart. Very local. I, even mm -hmm. Walmart does localized mm -hmm. stuff. And, and to see that, yeah. oh, this came from a farm in wherever, 15 miles away. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. But, yeah. you know, as long as they're following the, you know, I would expect that there would be some traceability behind that. And, and maybe it's not there today, but, but there's some opportunities there for resellers, I think. Thing. Well, since we keep talking about traceability and, and Ashley, you mentioned kind of some of the FDA's guidelines mm. earlier, obviously, you know, there's, there's been this increased emphasis on taking, you know, taking stock of all of this and keeping track of all of it. And the FDA has recently kind of unveiled some, a plan kind of this, this proposed rule called the FSMA for food traceability it just came out in September of 2020 last year. So tell us a little bit more about this. It's, you know, it's like a 55 page document, which, you know, you don't want to necessarily a 55 to, page government document. Which, oh, honestly, boy. it feels short for government, right? Document, let's be honest. So, <laughs> but uh, Ashley, can you walk us through a little bit about, you know, what this means, you know, what they're, what they're really talking about with traceability, what are their expectations? And more importantly, what does this mean for potential opportunities in the near or, mm -hmm. you know, even distant future for our resellers that are thinking about, hey, how's this going to impact things on the technology side? Yeah, absolutely. So what the um, the FDA has introduced is there's four core elements to this plan. And as 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 um, many of the, the folks probably listening to this know is that the, the FDA typically rolls out a plan and it takes them a while, right? They go out and ask a lot of questions. They deal with big vendors. They deal with big technology companies. They kind of understand what it is. And it takes them a while to figure out where there could be mandates or changes. So what they put together is this new era blueprint. It has, you know, four core elements around it. Um, and there's a cultural element to it. There's a smarter tools element to it. There is a technology element to it. Um, and then there's a new business model um, uh, area to it. And you may have just heard us talk about um, elements of all four of those new business models. So thinking of all of those delivery foods and all of those prepackaged meals that are now coming to people, um, traceability. So to go a little techie, right? So there's a, a group, the GS1 group, and many of you know them because if you're into barcodes and, and they generate all those food barcodes, right? They give you all of that traceability about what the product is and, and a lot of the even ways to identify the ingredients and things like that. How are we leveraging GS1 and other of these large um, information aggregators to help us with traceability? Um, it's always been the issue of, well, if I own farm to fork, I know the traceability, right? But if I don't, you know, again, as, as a large retailer, or even as a medium or small retailer, how do I get all that data to come together, right? How do we aggregate it all so that we can, we can see each of those transactions? So that's a big pillar. So, right, these new business models are pushing all this traceability and pushing all these new ways that people are getting food. The second piece is that it's, we're looking to see 
the combination of all of that data and how does that help us, right? It's, it's helped us quite a bit in the past in terms of the ingredient identification. How do we keep pushing that forward? Um, and then the other, you know, um, aspects of it are really cultural, which you've identified kind of at the top of the top of the hour here, which is more and more consumers are concerned, you know, with their quality and safety. Um, how are we pushing that into um, our industry? Um, one of the great things is that there was an article that talked about 70% of decision makers think that the, the food traceability that that we're good, we can, we can manage it all. Um, and then, oh, but only 35% of the consumers actually agreed to that. So these pillars that have been set up are, are really responding to that is that consumers are really, you know, they're concerned, they're, they're not necessarily trusting that industry. How do we push that more and more? And how does the government help help to do that? Yeah, there is a little bit of a gap there between yeah. what the industry <laughs> yeah. thinks uh, is possible. And, and that's fairly like, typical, right? Even nice. in medicine and pharma, you see that too, where consumers are, are sad. Well, I'm still skeptical of what you think that that, that does, right? And the, you know, the FDA and all the communities usually come back and try to respond to that. So I am excited by the new era blueprint. Um, I think it's going to be a tremendous thing for the technology companies as, as well as huge opportunity for us to all come be able to come forward. Um, with new new innovations, but also just the implementation um, of a lot of existing technologies like RFID and barcodes and uh, 2D barcodes, 1D barcodes, et cetera. Absolutely. And that's why I think this this episode is so critical, because there are some opportunities coming down the field. Right. So, uh, Ashley, we were talking a little bit before we got on here. So this is a right now it's a guideline or what, what so are they calling evolution in, in, in data logging? What's that? It's, it's a blueprint. The new right. era blueprint. blueprint. Right. Yes, right. exactly. Right. But it's not a law yet. Right. right. So, but, uh, you know, no, 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 not at all. Yeah. Right. So, but there's going to be some opportunity coming down the line. And I was reading a little bit more into some of the, you know, uh, the nuance, if you will, of, of what they're trying to develop here. And there are a couple of things uh, that I think are worth talking about. I'll just read from here. Two pillars of the proposed rule. So it's a proposed rule are key data elements and critical tracking elements. So what they call case. CDEs and CTEs, as mm. if we need more acronyms yeah, in know. this business. But Why those not? are two that I think our resellers need to become aware of because those seem to be the driving elements around this. So key data elements are are just that, tracking the data of whatever is going through its life cycle, you know, on points. And then tracking events would be, oh, it went from here to here. It went right. from here to here. So we're tracking these elements. So those that's going to be data, as Ashley was talking about. You know, as with everything that we're involved in, it's creating even more data to, that needs to be massaged and uh, and, and, and analyzed and, and things like that. But KDEs and, K and CTEs are going to be pillars uh, right. that we those, will be Those will be in. on the quiz later, folks. Those will be on the quiz right. later, right? Because <laughs> when you're having a conversation about it, that's what people are going to start talking about. Yep. Oh, you know, is this a KDE or is it a CTE? Right. Or yeah, right. exactly. So You know, I, I like the idea that we're talking about the cultural side of this, too, because... Cultural trends in food consumption have been a big push as far as why we are being you know, so diligent about paying attention to mm -hmm. what's in our food. You know, whether it is food sensitivities, like we talked about before, whether it is just making sure you don't get sick, or fad diets, even. You know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. when somebody's on a specific type of diet, maybe you're 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 counting carbs and you want to make sure that you always know and 
And let's be honest, if you decide to go out to a restaurant, that's easier said than done. I mean, I know like a lot of the fast food retailers, you know, they've they've come around or been mandated to, you know, provide that information somewhere that's easily, you know, accessible. But if you go to a local restaurant, that may not be as easy. Yeah. Um, you know, so even stuff like that could, you know, where, where you could maybe help out your local restaurants and help them like, hey, do you have a lot of customers that are always coming in and asking you how much of X, Y, or Z is in this? Or mm-hmm. did this food come from a locally sourced farm? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, if, if that kind of questions are coming up, this is the kind of stuff that can help them narrow that down and help them bridge that gap and have that information on hand and ready for, the, you know, ready to give out to their customers as True. needed. True. Uh, you know, Ashley, we've, we've talked a little bit about the impact of COVID over the last year, and obviously a lot changed in a lot of different spheres of, of, of related to food, whether it was, you know, food delivery instead of, you know, getting as much in, you know, in restaurant, which again, its own whole thing, because I don't know how many times you've ordered something that, you know, came to your house a little bit lukewarm, you know, <laughs> not quite as hot as it would be fresh out of the kitchen. Uh, the driver told you they had to make three other stops on their way to you and you kind of get a little sketchy about what did I just get? That, you know, curbside delivery, online shopping, you know, you go pick something up from your local grocery store. How long ago did they pick that stuff? How long has it been sitting in the staging area? Did they keep it in a freezer that time? Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of stuff I think that people got concerned about around food, you know, as related to, you know, to COVID. And on top of the fact that we all just learned how to think more about, more critically about viruses and bacteria anyway, uh, is there anything we've missed that COVID kind of changed in the game of food safety over the last year? Anything else we should be talking about? What I think I would I would call out two things. One is, and it goes back to this consumer, this heightened consumer awareness. Um, we Zebra actually just recently did a blog post on this. Is that no one really knew or really understood about the cold chain before <laughs> COVID started, right? And then all of a sudden, sixty minutes has a thing on the cold chain, and there's YouTube videos about the cold chain. There's suddenly all of this interest because the virus, the vaccines themselves were being trans, trans, you know, ported via the cold chain. And suddenly people realized, oh, right, I buy all of these things that are completely refrigerated. I wonder how they're getting from point A to point B. So you've had this really, this heightened awareness suddenly of the supply chain that, that no one really, ever, I don't think, really thought before. So it was, I now have awareness of the, the cold, you know, the cold chain as, as a sort of a lay person. And second of all, I can't buy paper towels, right? So there was this huge awareness of the supply chain because there was these shortages, right? And shortages are some of the favorite foods that we wanted to purchase, right? And, and that, that pushed us to buy things locally, that pushed us to change in a lot of different ways. Suddenly it was just, it wasn't just paper towels or toilet paper, it was mac and cheese. It was a lot of staples that, that had, had come into um, shortages in certain areas of the country. So we, everyone became, I think, much more aware and much more aware of how long food lasts and how long it can be kept and, and all of those, those different things. So just really hyper aware of all of that because of the pandemic, right? When you're kind of locked in your house and you suddenly have to clean out your cabinets or you're wondering if you should be buying things in bulk and how long they last. These all, I think, changed, changed those mindsets. Um, the other thing is that we did start to get everything in delivery. So this is the second piece is that suddenly, um, you know, there were a couple of hundred thousand delivery, you know, food orders, and it now is into the millions. And if you think about a million bags of food and one of those bags um, per every five is going to be a refrigerated bag with dairies, you know, meats, cheeses, you know, milk, anything that you can pretty, pretty much think of vegetables 
you are going to wonder about how that's being kept. And if I go to pick up my things, um, is there a data logger in that tote? And it's monitoring that. How long is that? shopper been walking around with their cart before I get all of my, my groceries. Do I understand that timing? Um, and that's, again, that heightened awareness that it's not just expect expiry dates that are, are fueling that. And it's not just understanding that it came from my local dairy, right? I really want to know that it's been kept at the appropriate temperature or humidity or whatever condition that it's supposed to be in. So by the time it makes it to me, it's, 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 it's at the, that, that level of quality and it's going to last the longest, right? They take me a couple of days to polish off that gallon of milk. Um, so I think that hyper awareness with the, the consumers is definitely something again to talk about to to all of the, the different businesses that are serving them. You can turn that around to be a selling point. You can turn that around to be something that differentiates you in the marketplace um, and, and take advantage of the, the all of this learning that the, all of the consumers have, have finally done and um, really kind of set their mind at ease um, when, when doing delivery, when doing buy online, pick up in store, um, even, even again, doing shipments of food when when you're shipping them across cross country. Yep, that's Good it. <laughs> French style green beans. That was the odd food that I could not find for months during the pandemic. <laughs> French style, French style green, green beans. beans. I just wanted a green Who's bean. Who's looking for these? First off, I was apparently, apparently you. Yeah, and, and I couldn't yeah, get a couple other people. Yeah, a green, oh, okay, a, that's, all right. Yeah, a green bean casserole. Come on, <laughs> that's all I wanted. Yeah, I eat that yeah, one time a year time. during Thanksgiving. <laughs> that's it. Yes. True. Yes. Typically, All I do too, but sometimes things. I might do it twice. You know? Okay. So. All right. Fair enough. So yeah, yeah no, I, I completely agree, and it 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 is interesting to see that this correlation between like supply chain issues and food safety and how the two yeah. kind of go walk hand in hand. Which again is another reason why I feel like our our audience and our resellers should be thinking about, hey, if I'm already trying to help out with the supply chain problem, I need to be thinking about the safety issue side of it too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, before we get into the, the technology side of this and, and some of the nitty gritty on the technology that can be put into play, I did want to talk briefly about food waste as well and trying to reduce food waste. I feel like it's one of those, again, one of those topics that we, we talk about and talk about and talk about and never seem to come up with a really great solution for mm-hmm. it. Um, you know, everybody's mother at some point told them, you know, you know, all that, that thing you're not eating could have fed some poor starving child somewhere else in the world. Yes, you know? right. mm-hmm. and, and beyond that, and just the, the massive amounts of food we waste, the, the stat I came across here, which was very alarming, about one third, 1.3 billion tons of food produced globally for human consumption gets wasted every year, enough to feed 690 million who go hungry. That is a depressing stat if I've ever seen one in <laughs> my is. life. Yeah, right. And, you know, and, and I know at some point we're all guilty of it sometimes of dumping something out that is, you know, oh sure, relatively good or could have been good if we had if we hadn't let yep. it go and ate it sooner. But so you know, Ashley, from your point of view, you know, how does how does you know focusing on food safety and 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 even before we get into the specific technology, you know, how does this help us with reduction of food waste? You know, what are we talking about with this right now? I think that um, the, uh, the 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 food trusts and a lot of the the companies. There's a very large retailer who looked at what would happen if we could just extend the life of an avocado, for example, for just one day, and that would be appropriately monitoring it, appropriately um, you know refrigerating it, and making sure that it was going to stay in a sellable form, right? So this is the other thing: it was going to stay sellable, um, you know, for for one extra day, and it reduced a huge amount of waste because it just allowed that avocado to be able to stay out on the floor just for a little bit longer, just enough for it for it to get purchased. So I think maintaining again those all of those temperatures and maintaining that the quality that an environment that all the food is in is 
very, very important in terms of um, whether or not you waste it or not, because most of the time people are wasting it, again, not necessarily on expiry date. They're looking at it, right? They're looking at it and they're saying, eh, right. I'm not going to buy it or it's ugly. I need to discount it, you know, half and I need to get it out of the stores, you know, as quickly as possible. And you'll always have those folks who will be like, okay, I'll buy the day old strawberries or, or the, the bananas are going brown because I'm going to make a pie or I'm going to make bread or whatever it is. And I'm happy to, 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 to purchase those. But what oftentimes happens is what we talk about is that it gets wasted. Um, and again, it's, it's beyond just the ex expiration date. We want to make sure that we can um, have these foods safely as, as long as possible. Um, so the better that we can monitor them and the better we can understand what's happening in our supply chain. And this goes to that techie answer of, the more I know where my trucks are, the more I know where, you know, there could be slowdowns in the supply chain where there's weather elements and other types of environmental things that are happening. I can reroute my trucks. I can maybe have the, the goods go to a different location that is going to be closer in and is going to allow me to sell things more quickly. Looking at all this data connection um, is going to help us, you know, again, not waste as, waste as much food. And the more and more that we can do um, again environmentally um, the, with how that food is being processed, the better off we will because the, it will look better, it will feel better, it will taste better, and people will be a lot less likely to throw it away. You know, I, I like that um, this idea of helping everyone understand where there might be a gap and, and, mm -hmm. and knowing, like you said, where the trucks are at all times, mm -hmm. for instance. Mm -hmm. It reminded yes. me of you and I both started trying out the whole, uh, you yeah, know, home, uh, home kits, yep. you know, home mm -hmm. chef kits and everything. You know, yeah. Hello Fresh and Blue Apron. Mm -hmm. I, I became a big fan of it in the past year, and you know, and I turned you on to it at some point too. And I, I remember one day getting one of my deliveries from one of the two. I don't remember which one it was because I'm kind of you know mixing and matching them. Uh, one of them came like a day later than it was supposed to. Like it was supposed to deliver on one date, and there was some bad weather. I think in the Chicago area or something that delayed them a day. They did deliver it the next day, but then I got an email from them saying, hey, we're going to refund you on this particular shipment. It's a day late. Feel free to throw the food out if you want. You know, we're sorry that this came later than usual. Now, mind you, it still was cold in the packaging. The right. ice pack was still solid. Mm -hmm. I mean, unless they left it sitting out somewhere and then refroze it, and I just didn't know any <laughs> different, everything was fine. I cooked it all up. I used it all. It was fine. Everything tasted great. I had no issues whatsoever. But that was something that made me think, though, man, that's kind of depressing to think that you – and I get why they're doing it. You know, they don't want any of the liability if for sure. some reason something Absolutely. did go wrong right. because yeah. of that extra day that it was out there in the delivery phase that it wasn't supposed to be. But it occurred to me, like, man, there's got to be a better way to make sure that either this doesn't happen or to feel more confident about, hey, what we delivered you is still perfectly fine. Mm -hmm. You're still okay to go. You shouldn't have to worry about this. You're good. And I and I think maybe that's where some of this technology can kind of help us out a little bit, um, which, hey. Is, is, I can't wait until it gets to the package level oh, like I, that. I, that I would agree. be really cool. I yes, this package, agree. this is the journey that this package went on getting to your house. It was at these temperatures right. at this time. Not just the giant shipment, but, yeah, the just down to right? the individual package. Yeah, I don't, so. I, are we going to get there someday, Ashley, you think, where it's like down? <laughs> I think that we're, we're probably closer than you think. There's there you many go. Ways, See? There's yep. many ways chemically that we can do that, too drive um, confidence with indicators, the chemical indicators that will say, yep, this package actually in fact did stay cold enough. And you're absolutely right. All of those packaging folks who does, do such a great job to say, yep, the things, the contents of this is, are going to stay the right temperature for 24 to 48 hours. We, we have lots of good technology that helps us to drive that. And we call it full life technology when we start to put some of those pieces on um, or indicators on at the start. So at the manufacturing point, and then you can see them throughout their journey. 
the next stage of that is, is actually is capturing that information, right? So whether we're capturing it through machine vision, so we have the chemical interaction and it's saying, oh, um, it's, the tag is red, which means don't eat it, or the tag is white, maybe I can capture that with cameras. There's all sorts of different things in terms of how we record all of that data and get that to the end user so that they can, you know, again, feel that the, the quality is very high and they can trust the food that they're getting. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Yeah, very cool. Well, then, you know, since we've yeah. kind of started this whole, you know, down the road of technology, you know, let's talk about what are some of the key technologies that are involved in food safety? Uh, what do we need to be thinking about? What should our bars be thinking about as this these this FDA guidance, these proposed rules are making their way through the chain and, you know, where we feel like, hey, some of this stuff probably is going to happen. You know, what kind of technologies do we need to be thinking about and already planning for talking and maybe even already talking up with customers? And, you know, as a addendum to that, tell us a little bit about what Zebra is doing right now and, and what kind of technologies you're introducing and putting out there already have in place uh, to to help combat these food safety issues as well. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that with the, the coming, you know, the new era pieces, I, there, you look at sort of two, two different things. One is you look at where, right? So from a traceability standpoint, where has it been? How do I get the data to understand where something has been, right? I'm always curious as to where my dog walks off to, right? There's little tags that you can put on your pets now and you can see where they've gone, right? So that's where. But the condition of the item is the other, all those different other pieces of data that you really need to understand for from in terms of a, a quality and safety perspective. And that's where we're really starting to see the data take off because the where um, can be done by an RFID tag. It can be done from a scanning perspective. I have scanned this into a particular location. Um, you can have a BLE tag that can you know, be read and you can consume that information. It's a silo where you consume consume the information, but at least you can get that data at some point. I know that pallet A has crossed the threshold and is now in this distribution center, right? And I know it's being broken up into these different pieces that are all individually tagged. They're gonna go back on a different pallet. So pallet B might have one case on it and off it's gonna to go to a store. But I can read those things individually inside the four walls and I can understand when they get it to the other end. What we're seeing now and more of these technologies to think about and look at are all of the data logging that is happening in between all of those different spots and how to look at that. So there are BLE um, data loggers, there's different kinds of data loggers that are logging both location and temperature. There's um, loggers that are, um, you know, can tell you if something has had a shock, um, humidity, there's a lot of these different environmental sensing. And that's what's now being layered into all of these different networks. So. You have the very traditional data loggers that are part of each truck. Um, and then you now have all these different kinds of data loggers that are gonna be in the pallets, in the boxes, on, you know, on top of all of these things that are moving around. And you get to record all of that as it's going, as it's going along. Um, so not only do individual distributors have like control towers with this data, but all of that data is gonna start to be um, basically democratized so that it can go back and forth. And we truly can understand, you know, from that supplier, the supplier gets broken up, you know, into different pieces and how does it end up at different kinds of stores and, and, and all the way to you. Going back to your example of I, I've received my prepared foods in a box and I really want to understand where all of those ingredients were sourced from. I can eventually we'll be able to get a nice data sheet that could possibly show that. Um, so that's that's where the FDA is really going. And they're going for that cultural element as to how to share all that data. Right. So not only do we need to record it through all of these tags and systems, but how do we actually share all of that? And where are those investments into sharing? Where are those data investments? Where are those analytics 
the tasking, the other pieces, actionable data, where how are we going to make investments there to make sure that we can, again, see it across all the different companies. Um, because I, as an end user, I buy lots of different things from lots of different people, and I expect that the level of service from all of those, those different providers. You know, this reminds me a little bit of uh, when we're talking about this traceability all the way down to the mm-hmm. individual components. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of the cannabis yeah. industry. Oh, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which is there. They're, they're there they're, now. They're doing that already. Yeah. Where you've got to track everything. As soon, if you snip a piece off of a bud, you know, mm-hmm. if you just if you take a cut off of something, you've got to be tracking and tracing every tiny little piece as it moves along there. And I find it interesting that that industry, which is still fledgling, all things considered, and that we're slowly figuring out, you know, how to do this stuff as it continues to grow, it could be easily be the model for what we could potentially do on the on the food yeah. side of things. Absolutely. But it would be a massive undertaking, I'm sure, obviously. Because that's you know it would be you got a lot of that granular detail Mm -hmm. that you know is in place for a reason, and it's one thing to do that from from the get go and starting off in an industry, then a massive multi trillion dollar I'm sure industry as Mm -hmm. as food is actually. Mm -hmm. So uh, well, then Ashley, you know, let's wrap up then with the second part of that question, which was you know what what's Zebra doing right now? Tell us about some of the technology and some of the solutions that you have in place around food safety. Yeah, absolutely. I wanted to say one more thing about what you just said about about Canvas, though, and, and the ROI of these solutions, because I, I, I'll talk about that in terms of what Zebra is doing, is that when you think about RFID tag something or you think about some of these extra steps, a lot of people's antenna go up and say, well, that's going to make it more costly. Why or how could I speak about that? But it's not just, you know, a mandate that's making me do it. How do I make sure that this is, is going to prove ROI? Um, one of the great things about the, the services and a lot of the, the solutions that Zebra offers is that we can show you how that, that return on investment will, will help um, all of your different customers. We can show you how RFID can help you to track things more accurately and how that comes through because we now have ways to aggregate and show that data. Um, there's a lot of different components that are now being you know, integrated together to help provide those those more connected solutions. So Zebra's doing a wide variety of things. Um, one is that we're, we have um, a temperature, BL, we have Bluetooth temperature data loggers um, that are now, um, any reseller can, can come in and, and sell that. And it has, um, and it has a software with it as well to give you an alert from a um, mobile device or an email to say something is going wrong with the temperature. The temperature is going too high. You should stop the truck. You should move the box. You should move the pallet. Um, it'll help, you know, again, on that ROI, help you to reduce, um, you know, waste of food um, and chemicals and anything else that you're transporting as well as, um, you know, protect it to make sure that it isn't going into the danger zone, those high temperatures for, for too long. So that's one great thing that, that we're just recently working on. Um, a number of other inside the four walls, um, MotionWorks, obviously, and RFID is helping to locate and understand, making sure that we know exactly where each one of those, you know, cases and items are, um, ensuring that they're in the right spot, ensuring that you can actually understand that even in your refrigerations and, and different um, large distribution centers, um, and all of our, our, our print and mobile computers as well in terms of helping out in terms of uh, matching up the all the transportation data that's coming in and the warehouse data to make sure that everything is going in the direct thing uh, going in the, in the correct direction. Um, big project that we worked just recently on was a very large food distributor um, in the QSR space and we brought together six or seven different kinds of technologies and, and partners to help them 
to understand the traceability from all of their different suppliers all the way to their end users, their franchise restaurants. And that was a fantastic project. Um, we'd love to talk to more partners about how we did that and um, and how they could benefit. Awesome. Yeah, what I like about Zebra is they is it Savannah? Do you do you wrap some of this up up, up under Savannah? The the Savannah Works, if you will. Yes. Yeah. Which is yeah. Like, so Motion Works. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, that's what I was going to say. The motion works. Uh, and you got data services under there. Uh, I think I really think Zebra is doing a good job of really kind of focusing and helping the resellers because, you know, a lot of it comes down to the data, the data manipulation, the software end of it. Uh, you need some help there, right? I mean, our resellers are really good with hardware. They right. understand hardware, you know, but but it's the software piece that I think that Zebra is doing a really good job with. The, and I don't understand it completely, but, you know, the whole Savannah works and what you guys are doing there is, is to help help bridge that gap, correct? Uh, to, to help them along. It, it is. I think what it really speaks to, though, is, is is the value, right? So the value is in the data, right? So there's this wonderful thing about, you know, selling the RFID readers and selling the mobile computers, but it's the data that is being generated. How can we manipulate and show the value of that, the solution, the problem that we're actually solving? And that's, you know, what Zebra Savannah and, and the data services has been all about. And, and, and again, we're really starting to see that come through where, the um, resellers can take all of that data. They can come up with those solutions. They can lead with that value versus just it's it's the fastest one on the market or it's the most rugged on the market. Well, that's that's a wonderful value statement and, and value proposition. But we want to take that even higher to say, well, we can help you to connect all of these different systems together and provide a whole other level of innovation. Absolutely. And we talk about the edge, right? All these solutions, a lot of what we've been talking about here is all stuff that's on the edge. Mm -hmm. There's nothing more on the edge than a little sensor on a box that's on a truck way out in Wisconsin or something right. like that. Right. But 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 I think, yeah, right. To to Ashley's point, uh, I, I really do think that that's a good way. You know, the whole Savannah system is or in knowing about that and understanding it uh, is going to get you that other critical piece to the whole solution. Yeah. So, And I love the ROI aspect of this, too. I like yeah. that you mentioned this fact that, you know, if if you've got a customer that's reticent about getting involved in this, they're going, eh, mm -hmm. that sounds pricey to me. Mm -hmm. We're mm -hmm. doing fine. We yeah, don't really right. need to mess with this. We're okay. That FDA stuff probably is years down the road. Right. Yeah. I, it, it is awesome when you can go back to them and say, hey, we're working with Zebra. They've crunched the numbers. Mm -hmm. They've got the data. I will show you exactly how this will benefit your business. Mm -hmm. I think that's super important to be mm -hmm. able to do. So. Yeah. 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 Uh, well, Ashley, thank you so much for this conversation. Before we move on to our recurring segments, I do want to, as always, thank our Tech Connect members, yep. of which Zebra is one. Thank you so much for your support of our show. We could not do this without you and for giving us Ashley to talk to today. There you Appreciate go. It. Yeah. Right. Uh, as always, if you, uh, first of all, if you like the show, please, if you're, if you're a subscriber or if you're watching us on YouTube, hit the like button subscribe to our youtube channel there's all kinds of other fun cool stuff that blue star is always doing there yep. that you can check out uh if you're listening uh to an audio podcast especially if you're on apple leave us a five-star rating and review we'd love to to hear from you it's easy to uh, do if you have ideas or suggestions for future episodes this i thought was a nice different kind of Absolutely. discussion from what we've done before if you want yeah. if you have topics you want to hear about reach out to us you can find us on twitter at tech connect pod you can also email us TechConnect at BlueStarInc.com.
All right, let's wrap things up, as always, with our recurring segments. First is our value to the VAR. This is mm-hmm. where we kind of try to wrap our conversation up in a nice little package. But there's put been a so much today. There has. And there's, <laughs> honestly, I know there's a lot more we could get into as well. But, you know, again, for someone who's trying to wrap their mind around this, who maybe has not really thought about messing with the food mm-hmm. safety side mm-hmm. of things and mm-hmm. where they could make an impact. Mm-hmm. Ashley, tell us, you know, where do you think is a good place to start with positioning this technology? Who should we be talking to? You know, is it... If you're you know, working with grocery stores, do you just talk to you know, regional managers? Are you going to the top of the company? Are you talking to individual restaurants? Like who, who do we talk to? Where do we go? Where do we start to have these conversations? Well, the, um, it's, it's great that you ask that because when we think about this, the, what we keeps coming up is quality, right? And every QSR retailer, anyone who has to deal with food, always has a quality control team. And that's there's not folks that get spoken to very often, but they're usually in the background saying, I know all the regulations, I know all the mitigation plans, I'm writing the standard operating procedures and I'm, I'm dictating or understanding the technology on how we satisfy all those regulations and those, those operating procedures. So you really wanna to talk to those quality folks. There's, they're in every distribution center, they're in every food service, they're in every retailer. Um, And what they're going to do is they're going to trickle all that down to your regional managers and your store managers. They're all going to have those standard operating procedures. They're going to all have that education that they have to have. That quality group is going to be driving all of that. And they're they're techie people. They really are. They they want to talk about technology. They love being included. And ultimately, there's going to be an executive and operations executive who is going to take their advice, right? It's gonna take their advice and make that buying decision. So I would highly encourage starting different conversations with the quality people, try to map those out, try to figure out who they are. Um, They're gonna open up a whole other world to you in terms of what you can sell. And there it is right there. There's yep. the opportunity. I mean, if you're if we haven't convinced you yet that there is an opportunity <laughs> that uh, can you imagine a millennial not like wanting to know where no. their cabbage came from? No, no. I mean, no. they're going to want to know that or or if their vaccine, yes, was was properly transported the entire way. I know we didn't get into that here today, but but it, it's happening. It's a cultural thing. There's heightened awareness around all this stuff now with the pandemic. So what is all that paint? It paints a picture of opportunity. So, yeah, I would advocate resellers understand some of these technologies, understand what the needs are coming for the marketplace, understand that the FDA is going to get behind it with some regulations and some rules that people are going to have to start abiding by. There's opportunity for you right there. Well, I think also it comes down to when you're in front of a customer is asking a very simple question of, hey, can your can your brand, can your business handle something happening Mm -hmm. if if there's a recall it has to go out tomorrow and how often do we see these recalls from big companies hey we're recalling all of these units of this particular type of food because of a you know uh, uh, relatively minor you know problem that Mm -hmm. might have occurred but still you know no one wants to find plastic in their bread you know or stuff stuff like that Uh, that kind of stuff like that can lead to millions of dollars of loss for a company. And then you get, as we talked about earlier, you get down to the granular level, just to your local restaurant. One person gets sick or a group of people get sick because of a, some bad fish that was served one night could have a huge impact on your business all the way up to you having to close your doors. So I think that's well, a great here's question. The stat, real quick, by yeah. the way, the average cost of a food-related recall, $10 million. Yeah, exactly. There you go. That's insane. <laughs> that's insane. It is. Yeah. So that's, that's good for spinach. 
Yeah, right. yeah, exactly. Yes. It could yes. be for the simplest thing. So I think that's, you know, I know we talk about like not selling with fear, mm-hmm. but it's a way of at least putting that out there. And, and, you know, and we talk about this on cybersecurity sometimes. Like, yeah. are you prepared to deal with the consequences of a breach? Are you prepared to deal with the consequences of a recall of an entire line of your food products or the consequences of a couple customers getting sick today mm-hmm. and what that's going to do to your business. Mm-hmm. That's that. I think that's sometimes how you can kind of start that conversation. Like, yeah. Hey, do you know what happens? about maybe right. throwing that stat out there and saying, Hey, do you know what the cost of the recall is? It's not doom and gloom. It's, it's reality, it, right? Exactly. It's a reality type check. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. all right, good stuff. Well, Hey, let's wrap up with our favorite segment of each week, which is what's tech connecting with you. Absolutely. This is where we get to talk about something for the world of technology, science, innovation, and gadgets, Anything that's kind of caught our attention this week. So, Ashley, I'll let you start. What's tech connecting with you right now? Well, amazingly enough, it's actually, you know, temperature and and other related stuff. The coolest thing I've seen lately is that there was, and it's very big brother, but I thought it was great, was that um, I looked at, there was a pharmaceutical pill that you take, and it actually tells a mobile application that you've taken your pill. Now, I know that (laughs) sounds creepy. And I know it sounds weird for me to like that, but I have a parent who has dementia. Yep. I would love to know that he took his medication. That would be right. fantastic. That helps him keep healthy, reduces my stress. I thought it was great. But again, I know it's a little weird for, for me to talk about, but I think technology is where it's going, right? Is to try to solve these problems where where people, you know, they, they definitely need the help. And how do we figure out how to help them, right? That was literally the first thing I thought of. As soon as you said that, I was thinking, man, that's perfect for somebody with dementia, for elderly yep. patients, yep. somebody who is on a large, you know, regimen of medications mm-hmm. or something and mm-hmm. needs to make sure yeah, they take even things. Yeah, like six to take, right? Like, yeah. Right? yeah. Honestly, there are days I could use that. I mean, you know, like yeah. uh, just right? to keep track of, hey, did I take my vitamin today? Did I take, you yep. know, what yep. this or that? You know, yeah. that's yeah. very important stuff. I like it. Well, the whole sensing. I mean, I, I continue to be mesmerized by, you know, the stuff that like that Zebra's doing or that you just see out in the market place of I I just think there's going to be a windfall of that the usage of these types of technology so that people can understand what's going on and to your point Ashley in this case you know help mitigating the stress level of of family members I mean healthcare we've talked a lot about healthcare and how the uh, technology is going to be implemented there yeah so that's not going away nope it ain't going anywhere Dean what's tech connecting with you all right so what are the perfect number of hours to work every day well well, okay. I, mean, I know what your standard answer is going to be. <laughs> Ashley, what's your standard answer there? Ten? Oh, 10. Okay. She's oh, going to, yeah. Oh, uh, well, well, by the way, yeah. you have four. I think six is good. Six, you think is good? You have four to thank for the eight hour workday. I did not know this, yeah. but they kind of standardized the eight hour workday. Which work now, day. mind you, was an improvement because before yeah. they, you know, these companies oh, you think were it was an improvement? Pe- yeah, these, they were forcing people to work oh, 10, well, 12, in that 16 hours. Case. Yeah, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah. well, actually, the way they are framed it in this article wasn't so much of an improvement because it's so that Ford could keep the plant going 24 well, hours a day, and so they had to kind of cycling the shifts. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oh, I'm well, sure there was a good business sense that behind it. But well, as it turns out, the perfect hour, amount of hours to work in a day is five. Okay, there you go. I can get so behind five, that. five. They did some studies, you know, and they did the, kind of the stress testing on both sides, and they fig- they found out that you know when people try to do all their work in a four-hour workday, it becomes way too stressful because people are just trying to cram in right, their right. tasks. They, they broke it down to like 15-minute tasks. Four hours you, goes by pretty quickly sometimes. It goes by too fast, and then people are feeling way too stressed out at the end of it. I'm not getting my stuff done and blah, blah, blah uh, type of a thing. But, you know, th- this one particular study said, hey, five-hour workday uh, is, is where you need to be. So I don't know. I'm intrigued by that number, and I don't know if it's going to be a quality of life. You know, we're coming out of this whole pandemic thing, right? right? Everybody's talking 
talking about well, working from it. home yep. and, and, and how many hours. But uh, research indicates that five hours is about the maximum that most of us can concentrate hard on something. So you're going to go pitch that to the Blue Star execs, right? Well, no, not at all. I'm just, I'm I mean, just throwing it on the I table. I think I was actually off a couple <laughs> hours ago. Sorry, I got to... <laughs> We're gonna end this we're podcast. Done. Yeah, yeah, we're done here. I'm in overtime now. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I think that's cool. Yeah, there you it. go. Anyway, what's that connecting with you? Uh, mine is uh, kind of a, one of these entertaining times when a a startup company tells us, you know, they can do something, and you you get a peek behind the curtain and realize, no, they actually. <laughs> Cannot and did not. So a company called Nikola, which I find interesting because this is a company that makes self-driving vehicles. Okay. Like Nikola like Tesla, ah, you know, who yes, Tesla's of named after. Yes, of course. So uh, back in 2016, they rolled out plans for a self-driving truck, like a, a semi-truck, okay. you know, an actual LTL-type truck. Yep. And uh, they, they put out this awesome video of this truck, you know, self-driving down a road or whatever by itself, and everybody was all excited about it. They got all kinds of investment opportunities, started, you know, Raising all kinds of funds to get to to get off the ground. Well, a one investment company in particular was doing their due diligence and went mm-hmm. a little behind the scenes and mm-hmm. did a little poking around and found out that that video was in some way sort of faked. <laughs> they actually put the truck on a low grade hill <laughs> and let it coast down the hill. Really? And filmed it. Now the company Nikola, the company has since said, "Well, we never said that they was actually driving under its own propulsion. We never claimed that." Oh, good lord! The video heavily implied that, right? I yes. remember seeing this video. Actually, it was it was very heavily implied. <laughs> This Nothing, is our truck. They, they certainly right. didn't tell you that it wasn't operating under its own proportion. <laughs> it wasn't in the little legalese at the no, end. There you know, was the, nothing the in there. Okay. So so they built all this funding off of it. They're actually already working on like the Nikola 2 or whatever to replace it. A bigger hill that they're going to roll But I think down? now they've actually got some bigger companies like working with them to, to create real vehicles that actually can do this. <laughs> but still, it's just one of those times when you like, don't get too excited about what you see that some new startup is telling you they can do because... It's you know a great world out there where you can you can manipulate things and make people think something and invest in something that's kind of shadowy at this point. It reminds me of the whole Theranos thing that Elizabeth Holmes did Mm -hmm. years ago, you know, with the the, the blood stuff, you know, and and tricked the whole world into thinking this new revolution in in reality was smoke and mirrors. And he's nothing but a snake oil salesman. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They're they're still around. Yep, yep, they still are. (laughs) All right, Ashley Berry from Zebra, thank you so much for joining us today. We appreciate having you on the show. Thank you for having me. I've had a great time. Us too. But unfortunately, it is time for us to unplug. So until next time, sniff all your food, (laughs) make sure none of it's gone bad, and stay connected. Thanks, everybody. Hey, everybody. Since we just talked all about food safety and the technology behind it, it's the perfect time to talk about Zebra's electronic temperature sensors. Pharmaceuticals, biologic, and food products require strict control of environmental parameters, temperature range, humidity level, light exposure, and more, not only to satisfy compliance, but also to protect product effectiveness and end-user safety. Introducing a new product line from Zebra Technologies, electronic temperature sensors. With Zebra's temperature monitoring and sensing devices, your customers can ensure the integrity and cost-effectiveness of their temperature-sensitive products during storage, shipping, and handling. Their devices monitor environmental exposures critical to maintaining the quality of your customers' products in biotech, blood banks, emergency medical service, other healthcare organizations, as well as food distribution and delivery. To learn more about this exciting new field-tested product line, check out the link in the show notes to find plenty of helpful resources and application briefs.